I had been in the customer experience space for about all of five minutes before I realized that you can't have a great customer experience if you don't have remarkable employees delivering that experience. The challenge I faced is that in most organizations, customer experience and employee experience are seen as two entirely separate silos. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube. So before we continue, be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You'll have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching. Hey, everybody. Nick Nanton here on Now to Next with my friend, Joey Coleman. Joey and I met through a few mutual friends during the pandemic. We did an awesome uh, podcast, if you haven't heard it yet, on his amazing book called Never Lose a Customer Again, a great book. Um, the thing that draws that that draws out of me is the thing that we we often spend so much time focused on getting new customers, which is the most expensive thing we can do. And we spend so little time. I mean, we try to take care of our customers. We have good customer support, all these things. But how much do we really focus on the ROI of keeping existing customers? We delved into that. Great book. I had fun on the podcast. Make sure you check that out. But Joey is back with another awesome book with a similar title with an equally interesting topic that is very much about cost savings, happiness, and everything else we're talking about in a post-COVID world. Hopefully that's the case. Um, and it is uh, never lose an employee again. Uh, Joey, thanks for coming back on, man. Oh, Nick, it is my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. And thanks to everybody who's kind enough to be listening in, watching in. So looking forward to this conversation. Awesome, man. So, Joey, just to remind our uh, viewers who don't study my podcast day after day, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, we'll remind them, you know, you got you and I both lawyers by trade. We won't talk about that. Recovering attorneys, I think, is the yeah. phrase I like to use, Nick. First Love step it. submitting Love you have it. a problem. There's 11 after that. Amen to that. Uh, agency guy. Uh, you've also worked for several government agencies, the White House, uh, Notre Dame grad. You've had a lot going on in your career the last few years, obviously speaking, consulting on never lose a customer again. Tell me about how the idea around never lose an employee again came about. What's interesting, Nick, I had been in the customer experience space for about all of five minutes before I realized that you can't have a great customer experience if you don't have remarkable employees delivering that experience. The challenge I faced is that in most organizations, customer experience and employee experience are seen as two entirely separate silos. Customer experience maybe is being paid attention to by your sales team, your marketing team, your customer service, your account management folks. But as a general rule, employee experience is the purview of HR and occasionally a progressive open-minded leader or middle manager who might be caring about their employees in a meaningful or remarkable way. And so when I wrote the first book, Never Lose a Customer Again, it was all about what are we doing to create the kind of external relationships that we need to achieve our goals. I then decided to write a second book, Never Lose an Employee Again, about what are we doing to create the kinds of personal and emotional connections with our internal customers, our teammates, our employees, to be able to achieve our goals. So both books have similar frameworks and similar philosophies. It's just a question of whether we're putting our energy and intentionality outwards towards the people we serve or inwards towards the people we serve. So really, I mean, it's as you've realized, obviously, and I'm getting up to speed to the party because I'm slower than you, it's sort of the natural follow-up, right? And so did you, did you had you 
had an idea in your mind previously, like, oh, this is going to be the exact right follow-up, or it just it just sort of became apparent as you were talking with people. It definitely evolved over time. Uh, my first book had been out for a few months when I received a completely unsolicited email from a reader. And the email only said this, Dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. Now, Nick, I'm not the fastest guy or the brightest crayon in the box. And I must confess, it took me receiving almost a half dozen to a dozen more emails just like that. No additional context, no additional scene setting, just Dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. Finally, after a while, as my wife will tell you, I can be hit over the head a, a number of times and eventually figure out the story. I thought, well, this is interesting. And in the interest of full disclosure, Nick, I had grown disconnected from the challenge of having employees. Because at the time that I was working on my first book and leaning into my second book, I didn't have any employees. I was a solo entrepreneur. And as soon as I started doing the research, not only looking at the academic research, but talking to business leaders around the world, I realized that most leaders wake up every day and one of their top two or three problems they're dealing with are directly associated with their people. Either we can't find the right talent, we can't onboard the right talent, we can't keep the right talent, we can't get our people to be engaged, we can't get our people to be excited, we can't get our people to quote unquote do what they're supposed to do. There is some type of an employee-employer relationship challenge that seems to be plaguing almost every business on the planet. And by the way, this was pre-COVID. Then COVID comes along and Suddenly, everybody's working from home. So businesses had to figure out remote. Businesses had to figure out how are we supposed to keep people engaged, motivated, excited when we don't see them every day. Suddenly, people who were working close to an office maybe moved and weren't working anywhere near an office. How do we navigate this world? And at the risk of uh, sounding doomsday-ish to folks that might be listening, hoping that it's going to turn back to the days of yesteryear and we're all going to be back in the office like it was Q1 of 2019, right. uh, I hate to break it to you, those days are gone and yes. they're not coming back. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing unless you refuse to acknowledge the reality that we're living in a different world. Amen to that. And I think, look, there are some businesses and some CEOs and some employees that are going to take a hard line about one or the other, all in, all on-site, all off-site, hybrid. And as long as we communicate, that's fine. Just know what you're getting into. I think that's the key. Like, I'd rather know, you know, I, I would rather you know all the negatives about working with me before we start working together. And then then there's no surprises. And so let's just... Let's just get there, right? So Absolutely. No, and I agree, Nick. I, th I think it's a matter about being clear. I think it's a matter of communicating. And I also think it's a matter of understanding, especially as an organization, whether you're a CEO or making policy for your company, that as you start to take line in the sand choices of you either have to do this or else, you are naturally limiting the number of people who will consider working with you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, I'm it could just be a saying, great thing. It yeah. could be a great thing. I'm just right. saying, know that like I tried to teach my two young boys, every choice has its intended consequences and its yeah. unintended consequences. And as leaders, I think our responsibility is to do our best to prepare and navigate both.
Uh, love that. And yes, I mean, there's so many cases that like if you own a bar and you will not allow any country music to be played in the bar, you're not going to get any country bands, but that's exactly what you want. So just be cool with that. Right. Exactly. It doesn't mean um, you're bad. Doesn't mean you don't right. have taste in music. It just right. means know that your choices have consequences. Love it. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, look, I'm I'm 43. I think you're close in age to me. You know, as we've as we've grown up, I've saw my parents and other people's parents sort of move from this like um, 30 years at a company, a pension and a watch to 30 years at a company or or getting let go two years before the pension and a watch and, and like feeling like they were wasted their time and or, um, you know, just. I don't know. There's just, there's very different versions. Um, employment used to be, I think the, I think the uh, demeanor of many employers was uh, used to be um, you have a job, you should be thankful, do what I say. And obviously look, uh, I, I love the, I love the economy we're in now in that um, let's just make things fair for everybody. And I think if you're not, I think if you're coming from an old school mentality, we won't put any judgment on it. I think you just have to understand that at the very bottom base level, employees have options now and more options than ever because they can work remotely in many situations. Okay. Nick, I think I absolutely no, And I think you are spot on. And I will, I will say this and I say this respectfully to folks who maybe are longing for yesteryear. And when quote unquote employees were more loyal, if we look at the data and we look at the research, not the emotions, not our personal experience, but the data globally, what we see is that this scenario was primarily created by the behavior of employers, not yeah. the behavior of employees. Sorry, hate to be the bearer of the bad news, but to your point, when we decided to raid pensions, when we decided to fire people a month before they kicked into their pension or a month before their stocks vested or whatever it may be, and did all these things that were done from a cost-cutting or cost-conscious perspective, the ultimate cost was we changed the landscape. And you're absolutely right. 50 years ago, before you and I were born, as a general rule, when someone was working for an employer, more likely than not, that employer was based within 30 miles of their home. Now, if your employer is headquartered within 30 miles of your home, it tells me one of a few things. Either you work for a very small business, and I'm going to define the business as probably less than 10 employees. You work in an industry that is very hands-on, i.e. you're a chiropractor and you need to physically do the adjustments. You can't do them remotely. Or... You just haven't been a victim yet of the poaching that is occurring from employers that aren't attached to a specific region or geography and to employees who maybe haven't yet realized that they can earn as much or more by working from a new, for an employer that is not in their hometown. It's interesting to, it's also going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out when, you know, when it's a very hot market, people do what they need to do to fill seats, right? And we've seen it before, by the way, with, you know, some of Google's decisions of like, whatever vacation you want, play ping pong all the time. And they're, they're, the, the pendulum always swings. So it's also going to be really interesting to see um, if what was promised to lure employees away from a situation they weren't as happy at if that becomes a blessing or, or a curse based on can you fulfill on these promises you made in this new world that while we we're all navigating it 
I think I think it's interesting. Um, obviously, um, well, you have the numbers in the book. Replacing an employee costs one and a half to two times the employee's salary. That should give anyone pause to just stop and at, at the very least think about like what am I maybe doing, or maybe I should ask my team what are a few things that I wish that you wish we had that would make it a better workplace and see what could happen. I know, you know, during the pandemic, um, I re-evaluated. Um, I started my business over a decade ago with my business partner, who's 30 years older than me, amazing guy, but he's, he grew up in a different era than me. He just did. And, and our, our vacation policy for years, which I just never looked at it. Um, part of the reason, I mean, to be honest, I never had to look at it. I was the owner of the business. I just you were the owner. Balance, the, right? the policy probably didn't apply to you the same it, way it applied to everyone else. It did not. And so, you know, our policy, when I went and looked at it, um, again, very in keeping with some quite older policies, but one year, one week of vacation for the first year, I think you earned two weeks after two or maybe three years. And I think you had to get to executive level, which there's not a lot of executive level positions to get to like four, if, if that, or to get to three, I think, sorry, if that was even possible. And so, you know, we, we evaluated vacation time and thankfully I brought in, I had brought in some new team members and one of them had been with a company that, that had, you know, like basic holidays off, I mean, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all the, all the things. Um, and and bank holidays and then it had given five weeks additional vacation including pto like for doctors business whatever and another one had worked for a company that um it was unlimited vacation and and everything i've ever heard now talking to anyone intelligently about unlimited vacation is that it does not work like everyone feels obligated to not take any time off or right. bosses try to get you to shift your vacation time because you have as much as you want could you just shouldn't go that week because we really need you now do it here so we end up going to five weeks and quite frankly five weeks is hard to use like if you're if you're doing your job five weeks is hard to use i don't keep track of it but i don't know that anyone's taking that but again it's sort of taking just a different look at I mean, I think number one, like, what would I be happy with? Because number one, it's just not something I never thought of, but like, I've got three kids and I was able to go to their baseball and soccer and football games half day sometimes. And, and I would never want anyone to work for my company that didn't have the opportunity to watch their children grow up. I just, but I just wasn't focused on it. So perhaps just one key takeaway is just maybe turn around and focus on as a boss or as a business owner, or as a VP or a president, like, how do you want to live your life and what are the kind of people you want to attract and how might you give people benefits that would allow them to do that? Nick, I think you're spot on and, and you're absolutely right about vacation policies. The unlimited vacation, usually the reason it doesn't work is none of the senior managers or executives are setting an example that you should take vacation. So the more junior employees are looking at it going, well, I know they say it's unlimited, but I don't see anyone ever taking vacation. So I better not, or I might get fired. Right. We need to lead by example. The other thing that I think you bring up that is fascinating is this idea of what would you want as a leader Yep. What would you want if you were coming in as an employee? Now, this is a huge exercise in stepping out of your own shoes that is very difficult for most entrepreneurs, right? Most yep. entrepreneurs are like, well, come on, just make it happen the way you want to make it happen. That's right. not how average slash normal human yep. beings see the world, right? So we have to distance and separate ourselves. 
in the book, I've got over 50 case studies from all seven continents. And one of my case studies that I thought was really unique in this particular area of vacations comes from a technology company called Seven Rooms. Now, Seven Rooms makes a software that hotels use to manage their reservation policies. And what happens is you go through the interview and hiring process at Seven Rooms, and they decide that they want to make you an offer, and you accept the offer. And then they say to you, Nick, when would you like your first day on the job to be? When would you like to start? And Nick might say to me, I'm thinking the 15th of next month. And they say, fantastic. We'll see you on the first of the following. So two weeks later than you just said. But what we're going to do is those two weeks from when you said you wanted to start until we actually expect you to show up in the office, we're going to pay you your salary. We're going to pay you your benefits. We want you to have a quote, fresh start. That's what they call their program, fresh start. And yeah. here's the only requirement. Go do something that you've been meaning to do. Go see the people, go have the experience, go on the vacation, whatever it is. And our requirement is when you come in for the first day on the job, when you're meeting your coworkers, we're going to have a little session where you can share what you did on your fresh start and how you use this time to do something fun for yourself. What's fascinating, Nick, is they saw the number of applicants they would get for an open position double when they announced this program. Now, some people listening might say, well, Joey, wait, we're paying them for not to work. No, you're making an investment in this person that you already decided is the person you want to hire. Okay. This right. isn't some rando off the street. This is right. someone who's gone through your interview and hiring process. You are making an investment that when they start, they're well-rested, they're feeling good, they're excited about their future. And if you don't think that your increase in loyalty and retention is dramatically improved by making this type of investment in someone's personal life before they've quote unquote earned it, yep. I, we, we have to have a separate conversation. <laughs> well, that's a very different conversation. And yeah, I mean, that look, that's culture building. I mean, that's, that basically checks all the boxes of bringing in somebody who is going to be excited to do the work with you, you know? And, and so that's, look, um, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine not long ago who just directed his first uh, short feature film. And I've, I've never directed feature film, but I've directed a ton of documentaries and we got into a conversation. And I was like, you know, people always want to interview me about directing or ask me questions about directing. And I got to be honest with you, just between us, like, I don't even know what directing is. And he's like, he's like, Nick, directing, literally, I, he's like, I just figured it out. You're, you're good. Because I was trying to figure out the same thing. He goes, it's literally just team building. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. Like, why don't we just get the best people on the bus to do the jobs we want done? I was trying to explain to another friend the other day, like, if I want a job done and I find someone who I like, and they do a good job until they stop doing a good job or start becoming different people or unfair or something severely goes wrong. I'm never going to call anyone else ever again to do that job. I'm just going to call them over and over and over. And I have, I have subcontractors to me to this day who just don't want to be full-time employees. No problem. Who've worked with me for 50 weeks a year for 10 years or close to it. I mean, I don't, if, if someone audits me, I, that might not be exactly right, but it's been a lot of people for a long time. Most of the work they do just because I'm a human being. I just want my life to be easy. And if you're Absolutely. great at it and I can just make my life easy because you're great at it, I'm just not going to do anything different. And that's what, that's how we should be trying to build our teams at our, at our jobs and our offices as well. One of my favorite quotes, by the way, that I think you'll like as well. Um, from uh, 
the Bezos Letters uh, book uh, by two of my friends. Um, you know, I love the quote that Jeff Bezos says, never hire someone you don't admire. And I, I absolutely love that because it doesn't matter as much as you might think something's a menial task or like who would ever want to do that? Like there are people, believe this or not, there are people who wake up every morning and cannot wait to make a balance sheet and accounting check out. Like they, like before they eat their cornflakes, this is what drives them. And I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but this is possible. These people do exist. And some of them are even pleasant. Oh, Nick, I believe it. I know that's not you. No. And I know that's not me, right. but I know these people exist. And, and I think you are spot on. What, the best organizations on the planet going forward are going to be the ones, I think, that capitalize on two things. Number one, how can I make sure that I have the right person in the right seat, that I've got the person who's doing the thing they love to do, they enjoy doing, and we don't look down on any task? Because my theory always is, if you're judging the task or the person, here's the deal. You go do the task by yourself for two weeks and tell me if you're still judging it. I'm guessing you won't be. I'm guessing you'll be going, oh my gosh, I this is miserable. I don't want anything to do with this. If I could just find somebody else who would do it, gosh, that would make my life easier. The second thing is this archaic notion of work is between nine and five. Okay, the main reason historically that we landed on these hours had to do with daylight. Okay, let's stop and actually analyze why we have a workday that is based on daylight. That doesn't make sense. We have light bulbs. We have electricity. We can operate asynchronously from a set amount of time. And I, what I see among the cutting edge employers that are the places that everybody wants to work, right, that have no problem filling their positions, their people are completing task and leading up to goals and achieving milestones independent of a clock. And that's how I work with my team. Hey, these are the goals we have for the week. If you can get these goals done by Wednesday, you don't have to show up Thursday and Friday. I don't care. What I care about is not the hours you log. I care about the results we achieve. Now, by the way, if that means we have a goal that you agree to that is actually going to take you five and a half days, I'm going to need you to figure out that other half day on your own because we agreed to this. Now, this isn't the draconian setting of I'm making the goals and everybody right, lives right. up to it. This right. is a collaborative conversation. But I think the better you get at this process, the more your people will be bought in. And to your point, like your independent contractors want to continue to work with you because they're like, oh, this is a fair employer who values my work and contribution and allows me to maintain some flexibility in my life and in my schedule, which is human beings is something I think all of us want. Yeah, I think finally, um, the world, the employment world has realized that, yeah, everyone wants to be treated like human being. And it's just, okay, good. I mean, that's, let's, let's just start there and go from there. And now look, <clears throat> different size companies, different types of companies have different profit margins, other things, not everyone can offer you free cafeteria lunches every day, ping pong tables, everything else. But, you know, look, everything comes with a trade-off and that's, you know, but find the fit that's right for you. So look, you, you go through um, sort of eight phases in the book. Um, we could go through that, but I actually think what would be more interesting to me would be based on now that you have been in the work, you've done the work, you've been speaking a lot about it, even post book to employers, obviously 
the conversation started happening before COVID. Now we're again, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed in a post COVID world. What, what have you learned maybe that's not in the book or what do you think are some of the most fascinating things that, uh, maybe people have latched onto that you just thought maybe was something cool, but has been, become like a big linchpin in this new world of not losing employees. Well, I think one of the tricky pieces, and there have been entire books written on this topic, is this blend that you alluded to before of in-person, remote, and hybrid, and how do we navigate that? And there's some case studies in the book that are 100% in-person. There's some case studies that are 100% remote, and there are many, many examples of companies that are hybrid. What I think I've learned is that this is an evolving conversation that I think if we were able to look at a crystal ball five years from now or see life 10 years from now, I'd be willing to bet that 99% of organizations on the planet will be some variation of hybrid. There will be times when they're together in person. There will be times when they work remotely. And that's why I kind of bristle at this attitude right now of you've got to be 100% remote or you've got to be 100% in person. I found in my life, and I imagine you have as well, Nick, that operating at the extremes of the binary life of you have to be all in or all out, yeah. it's just not a good place for most humans to operate. Because as soon as you, and maybe this is the lawyer in me and maybe the lawyer in you, as soon as you tell me that you're absolutely over here, I guarantee I can come up with a dozen reasons that would put you to the other end of the spectrum if I was in charge of setting the scenario. And I think the best employers are the ones who are going to recognize that it is in their best interest, professionally and personally, as an organization, to allow for this level of flexibility and discussion. Now, to your point, what's maybe not in the book, which I would love there to be even more in the book, and we actually created a whole separate thing from the book called The Vault, where I continue to add case studies that you can right. access if you have the book, because this is the challenge, as you all well know, as an author, of you write a book and it's your best thinking at the time, and, and the you second more. you hit print, more examples show up. So we right. wanted to create something for this, but I think... What I'm really interested in right now are the innovative companies that are figuring out a way to create analog experiences in a digital era. What I mean by that is, for example, a company that I talked to not, uh, not that long ago in the property management space. They're not a case study in the book. But what I found is that when they're thinking about hiring employees for their corporate office, the first thing they do is run job, job advertisements and listings in the cities where they already have remote workers. That's where they default to first because their idea is if I can find two or three other employees in that same geographic vicinity, now I can do creative things like email everybody on that team and say, hey, in the next two weeks, I want all of you to meet for lunch and the company's going to pay for it. Just go hang out with each other, get to oh, know each other. Not a formal thing, but what it does is it builds connection, it builds bonds, it builds culture in the physical world, even though they are a primarily digitally operating remote company. Uh, that's really smart. I hadn't thought of it. That's great. I mean, that's the, those are the innovations we're all looking for, right? Like, you know, when I had my team all in, I'm in the sort of Orlando, Central Florida area, when I had my team in there, we could do happy hours once a month. Like, you can't do that now. And as much as you can try to make a Zoom happy hour fun, I haven't found one yet that is really that much fun. Um, have you seen any other examples of virtual team building you think work really well? 
I have, you know, it's funny you should mention is Zoom happy hour. There's a company I profile in the book called Jam that pre-COVID specialized in organizing sports leagues. So think of it as like, hey, if you play in the your town's kickball league or your ultimate Frisbee league or whatever, they would help manage kind of the social sport related interactions, usually for 20 to 40 somethings. That was kind of their target market. They added on a whole separate set of services during COVID to do kind of remote things, including happy hours. But one of the cool things they do, which again, not featured in the book, but this is an offering they have, is they do remote game nights for team building. And so what they'll do is they'll get everybody together and they'll say, hey, instead of having a happy hour on Thursday night where we're all going to get a beer and come to a Zoom call and drink our beer in front of the other people and have forced conversation, we're going to have a game night, but it's going to be virtual. And you're going to come to this call. We're going to pair into teams and we're going to compete against each other and play. I participated in some. I did an ugly sweater Christmas game night one night where they had Christmas related trivia. Everybody showed up wearing their ugly Christmas sweater. And it was genuinely fun and engaging and different. And the real benefit, Nick, to be candid is they said for the first 15 to 20 minutes, if you have kids and you want your kids to participate, have them come as well. This starts to break down the barriers between this fiction that we have our personal lives and our professional lives. Employers think nothing of asking an employee to take a call from home, answer an email from home, stay late and miss dinner at home, anything like right. that. Yet as employees, as soon as we start to think about, oh my gosh, the dog's barking in the background or the kids might run across the screen in a Zoom call, yeah. we're horrified. And it's like, why? Stop. You're human. You have a life outside of work. And I really think the most, uh, the most desired employers in the future are going to be the ones that pay as much attention to what happens in their people's lives between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. as they do between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., i.e. your life outside of work. How are we creating accommodations? How are we supporting you? How are we encouraging you and celebrating you for things that are going on in your non-work life? That's how you build colleagues instead of coworkers. Coworkers are the people you work with for the same employer. Colleagues are your friends at work. There's a difference. Uh, massive difference. What do you think, by the same token, I mean, what do you think the employee of the future should be focusing on? And maybe how how can I be more employable in the future as, as these things progress? Yeah, I love it, Nick. This is something that with two young boys that I think about all the time, right? You know, it's like, what is it going to be like 10 years from now when they're in the workplace? I think the number one skill that an employee can develop right now is flexibility. Your job today will be markedly different five years from now. I don't care what your job is. And your ability to navigate those shifts, whether those be technological shifts, geographical shifts, societal shifts, emotional shifts, your ability for that resiliency and that flexibility is going to be huge. I also think being a lifelong student and a lifelong learner is unbelievably important. And to be clear, I'm not meaning to imply that you need to continue taking courses at the collegiate level or night school or anything like that. But what content are you consuming that is educating you? 
that's increasing your perspective, adding new skill sets, giving you a better understanding of a different way of living, a different way of life, a different way of thinking, whatever you can do to be flexible and also thirst for knowledge and new experiences and new information, I think makes you an incredibly appealing employee in future interviews. I love that. Yeah, I do a lot of work with, um, you know, first there was IQ, then EQ, now AQ, the adaptability quotient is a big deal now. We, I do an investor in company on that. And I think that that being adaptable, being flexible is going to be a, a huge secret. Um, Joey, we, we could reveal all the secrets in your book, but we don't want to because that's why you have a book. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Look, everyone go check out a copy of Never Lose an Employee Again. Uh, Joey, what's the best website or what else can we do to support you? Well, I would say the best places I'll put in, you were kind enough to plug the book. The book is available in whatever format works for you. So there's a hardcover copy for people that like to read and take notes in the margin. There's an ebook for folks that like to highlight in their Kindle or Nook. And if you've liked the sound of my voice, there's an audio book that you can listen to me read the book to you. The best place to find me is at my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old, you know, Coleman, C-O-L-E. E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. There's information there about both books. There's information about speeches. There's videos. There's all kinds of content you can consume. And uh, I hope folks will just give it a check and see if there's anything I can do to help support you as you enhance your customer experiences or your employee experiences. I love it, man. I can't wait to have you on for whatever the next exciting thing you have going on. It's great to see you. Thank you for making the time and I will see you soon. Take care, everybody. Hey, Nick Nanton here and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the show to our on channel YouTube, and so ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching.